do that. I do that at my church all the time. Um, how's everybody doing tonight? All right, you guys, this is going to be mind-blowing. And I don't say that because I'm teaching. I'm saying that because um, God has really, really done something in, uh, in this teaching. How many of you guys uh, know what a revival is? Kind of? Um, I'd say this, that the best way I can describe a revival is God coming in, in his full capacity onto a group of people and doing what he can do through a group of people. And what he can do is so much bigger than what we can do, especially if we're cooperating with him. So have you guys ever played Chutes and Ladders? Like recently? Okay. I have played it recently. And it's got these, these pictures of um, good deeds go up ladders and bad things like almost like sin comes down shoots. So there's these little pictures of kids and the best ladder in the game, it goes from like block 24 because they're labeled one through 100 to like block 86. It's a huge ladder. This little girl climbs a tree, gets the cat. Now she has the cat as a friend, okay? That's the, that's the biggest ladder in this game. I played with my daughter. She's four. She loves the game. I like it too. Um, it doesn't require any skill. You just, you know, flick the spinner over and over again. And... If there was, I don't, at the top is a ribbon, level 100 or block 100 has a ribbon. I don't know what the, I don't know what the ribbon is for you guys. Um, for me personally is I want to, when, one day when I stand before God, not, not only do I want to know him, but I want to be um, very secure with how I live for him. And I want to know that to the best of my ability in knowing him, that he used me to the degree that I could be used. Does that make sense? Because I mean, that's eternity, and this stuff that we're going through, it's not like, but see, there's different phases. Like when I, was, when I was young in the faith, I just wanted to stop doing bad things. That was my ribbon. You know what I mean? I was like, man, if I could just not be such a bad person, then I would have it made. You know what I mean? And just like the Israelites were, like, were just in bondage. They just wanted out of bondage. That was the best they could think. And then they went into the desert and they were just like, man, I just want some onions and potatoes and I want to eat well. Like they wanted to be blessed. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's like a phase too where like, you find out who God is and you find out what he has for you and you're like, oh, bless me. Like, I want to be blessed. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be blessed. You know what I mean? It's not the most mature state, but it's an important state that you know what the blessings of, of the Lord, what the blessing of the Lord is and desire that in your heart. But he doesn't do that until you actually desire him first. If you delight in the Lord, then he gives you the desires of your heart. They had to learn that the hard way and they all had to die in the desert, right? So they wanted to be free. Then they wanted to be blessed. But then there was a generation that came along and said, we want to know you and then we will be blessed and we'll be blessed to be a blessing. And Israel was actually supposed to be the priesthood of all nations. Okay? So you know how like you had the Levitical priesthood? If I say that, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like there was a tribe that were the priests of all of Israel. Well, all of Israel was supposed to be a priesthood to all nations. Okay? And they were supposed to introduce the Lord to everybody. So then God's, you know, plan... Z, if you look at all the different plans that we kind of kaputted in the Bible, was I'm going to make the Gentiles the priests. And that's what the Christians are, basically, okay? And we're supposed to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. How many of you want to be blessed so you can be a blessing, right? But there's nothing wrong with just saying like, I wouldn't mind just being blessed first if that's where you're at. That's not supposed to be looked down on. We're walking through stuff just like the Israelites did. So I... Has anybody ever been touched wrong by money in the church? Let me just start off giving you an example. Like if I was about to collect an offering, have you guys ever been to like a church service where like they're about to collect an offering and they took a half hour to tell you all the scripture verses about giving before they took it? And it just feels like, oh, I think this guy just wants my money. You guys ever experienced that? Yeah? 
Um, the, Lord, the, Lord, the Lord has said some very sharp things to me about money, and I'm trying to soften them for you. Um, I, I invite him to talk to me sharply. And one of the things that he told me about that was, uh, Adam, in your life, you've actually have had greed and you assume that that person wanted your money to justify you keeping it because you wanted it. I was looking at a person saying, he just wants my money and it was actually greed in myself justifying itself in me saying, no, I just want my money and not giving the way I could have gave because of that man. What does that man have to do with the Lord and my offering? What does anybody have to do with my giving? It's between the Lord and I. And money actually matters. It matters, it matters, it matters because I'll, I'll get into the five reasons why it matters. It's, it's Satan will tax certain areas. How many of you believe that Satan wants you to have a bad life? All he has to do is get you to not honor your parents and you'll have a terrible life. So it's not like he's got to go around and just beat you up every day. All he's got to do is just divide your heart from your mom and dad's heart and get you to have a fence against them and not honor them and then boom, not a good life. You know what I mean? Or like, all he's got to do is just sprinkle in some false teaching and let you go because it'll be terrible then. All he's got to do is get you to be greedy with your money and your heart will stay far away from the Lord. Okay? So that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. So on that first slide there, there's just some schemes of the devil. Greed is one. When was the last time anybody heard a sermon on greed? Has anybody ever heard one? I've never heard a sermon on greed before. Do you have one of these? You're welcome. I actually think that's a tactic of the enemy. And you'll notice I'm about to talk on money and I'm not taking an offering, right? So what I'm about to say tonight isn't to get you to give something. I'm going to, with the Lord, hopefully impart something tonight. Okay, that's very, very, very important. Sometimes we can feel like we're generous because of something we did in the past but we're not living on past giving. We're givers, right? We, we want to do it today. And so we want to have an accurate view of what our giving is. If you actually look at 2 Chronicles 7, 12 through 15, I'm going to read it to you. It says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night. This is a classic revival verse, okay? Has anybody ever heard this in reference to revival about him healing the land? It says, I have heard your prayer. And isn't that interesting? All throughout the Bible, just because you say a prayer doesn't mean the Lord heard it. The Lord heard Solomon's prayer, but there are hundreds of examples of him not hearing prayers. And there's actually conditions in the Bible on having your prayers heard, okay? In this example, Solomon actually has his prayer heard. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. So let's just stop right there. The economic condition of Israel was based on their heart positions towards the Lord. And if their heart wasn't for the Lord, the Lord wouldn't bless them and say, no, that's fine here. I'm going to give you stuff that's going to separate you from me even more. He wouldn't do that. They would dry up without him. But he says, if you humble yourself and seek, and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's what happens when you humble yourself and seek the Lord, is that you end up finding out that there's a wicked way, which is why the land isn't being healed. 
The land isn't being healed because God doesn't want to heal the land. He wants to heal the land. He's waiting for his people to pray, seek his face, figure out what wickedness the people have let in, repent of that wickedness, and then he comes and heals. Well, I'm here to tell you, what if greed is one of the wicked ways that we've done in America that keeps revival at bay? Okay, I'm going to say it again. What if one of the wicked ways that we're engaged in corporately, nationally, as, as the church is greed? And that has actually prevented the Lord from coming and healing the land in the capacity that he could. Because if you guys ever wondered, like, why doesn't God just, like, just come and do it? Like, we open up the church doors. He tells everybody in the community, hey, go to this address, come to this church. And boom, he just heals everybody, gives everybody a word, proves himself to everybody, just using, you know, little old me. And then everybody in this place is a Christian because God just came and just did it. Well, he doesn't partner with wickedness. And we don't know that we're involved in wicked ways and we wouldn't even call it wickedness until he reveals it to us and we say, oh, that is wickedness, right? You guys following me? Okay. Now my eyes shall be open because sometimes they're closed and my ears attentive because sometimes they're not attentive. He doesn't attend to wickedness. He attends towards humility. He doesn't attend to pride. He tends towards humility. And listen, how many of you guys remember being an early... Is anybody here like in their first year of being a Christian? Anybody? Listen, the first year you're a Christian, you're just a little baby. And he just holds you. Every prayer you pray, he like comes and shows up. And like you're involved in sin and like doing things you're not supposed to do, but you don't even know it. And he doesn't even necessarily care at that point because you're just a little baby and you're poo-pooing your pants spiritually. And it's awesome. But as you grow, he actually has expectations. Does that make sense? And there's certain ministries and people are either uh, maternal or like they're matriarchal or patriarchal. Like you are either like the nurturing type who's just saying every, to everybody, listen, it's okay. You know, God's gonna, you know, come and do good things. You're okay for now. And that's needed. That faith shouldn't be, we shouldn't be like grow up, become this, do this now. There's a stage for that. But in the beginning, that's not time for that. It is time to like coddle and nurture and make sure people know that they're loved by Jesus. Now, if that's all your ministry is, that you're gonna produce some pretty 35-year-old people living in your basement type ministry. You get what I'm saying? Like, we don't coddle forever, but there's a time to be coddled. And that can cause friction because some people are saying we just need to love people. Some people are saying they just need to grow up. It's, it's both. People need to be coddled for a time. Then they need to learn to walk. Then they need to have some expectation put on them and then more expectation. Find what their ministry is, what their calling is, and then start to walk in it. I used to be very like, grow up. But God's really, really working in my heart. Showing me how patient he was with me. I used to have tons of sin in my life and he still answered my prayers. He is so gracious. What concerns me is why isn't he answering my prayers now? I'm not saying my prayers never get answered, but why aren't all of them being answered? That's what concerns me. And we'll get to that right now. Okay. John 15. I'm going to try to get through these verses without crying. Get my big boy pants on here. If you abide in me, and did you notice he said if? This is what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey guys, chill out. You're always going to be abiding in me because you said a salvation prayer. So don't worry about not abiding in me. You just abide in me. These are the disciples. 
who laid down their lives to follow him. If anybody seemed to get a permanent card to follow and abide in him forever, you think it'd be the disciples. But he's talking to the disciples. He says, if you abide in me, right? Then he actually starts to warn them about not abiding. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're abiding. Abiding is a choice on your end on what you're going to do. And he actually tells you how to do it in here. Okay? It says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, oh, my goodness. If you abide, listen to what's going to happen if you abide. Isn't that crazy? This is what it says. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Is that amazing? If you're abiding, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many of you want to know how to abide? He actually tells you specifically. But I I swear, it's like almost like the enemy can just blind us to the simplicity of this thing called the gospel. Listen to what it says. By this is my Father glorified. Oh my goodness. So this, this is actually my ribbon. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to glorify the Father. That's, that's my shoots and ladders ribbon. That's my 100 square. That's what I'm going for. That's what I want to do with my life. I want to make sure that I'm a light. I'm a blessing. I'm blessed to be blessed. I'm a light to the nations. I'm a holy priesthood. And I'm actually glorifying the Father while I'm here on earth. Small chance to do it, right? It's easy to glorify the Father and the Son when you're standing in front of them. That's why every knee will bow, every tongue will confess when they see Jesus. Because like when he's standing in front of you, it's just the truth. And it's, it's not as easy to do it by faith, which is what we're called to do while we're here. That you bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments. Oh my goodness. That's how you abide in him, by keeping his commandments. But man, that seems so broad. And abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Oh my goodness. Look at this. So if we abide in him, he's going to answer our prayers and our joy will be full. Are you ready? This is my commandment that you love one another. Do you guys see that? You guys might think this is so basic, but if we're doing this, every prayer is getting answered. Like this is like revival. Do you guys get get what I'm saying? You are a walking revival if you can learn how to abide in Christ. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard my father has made known to you. Look at this. Plans made known. I want to talk about the coolest life ever. Everything you ask and pray for happens. You're filled with joy, and the plans that God has are made known to you. That's a revival right there. Is that awesome? And what do you have to do to get that done? You have to wake up in the morning and make that your goal. I'm waking up today to love people 
My wallet is not my own. My time is not my own. I dedicate my wallet and the clock to Jesus Christ. And my sole purpose for living is not to go through religious motions or, or anything like that, but I'm going to love people. You get me? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give to you. This I command that you love one another. Okay. Amen. Right? Does anybody want that? I kind of want it. Really bad. But how do you actually end up laying your lives down for one another? If you actually go into the Acts Church, because, like, it'd be really easy if it was just to take a bullet for Jesus. You know what I mean? If somebody walked in with a gun and you were like, no, and you just kind of gave your life and it was one moment and that was it. But you've got to figure out how to do it on a consistent basis every day. And in the, in the um, Acts Church in chapter 2 and chapter 4, guess what they did? How did they lay down their lives? Does anybody know? They actually practically laid down their lives. What did the early church do? Acts 2, verse 42 through 44. They hung out together and they did what? They shared everything and nobody had any need because all the need was met because they took all their money and laid it down and said, this isn't mine, this is ours. And I don't have any desire for something. What I desire is to love people. So I don't need all this money to buy things with. I can share it with you guys, right? Because there's nothing that I, that I have what I want. What I want isn't out there. What I want is in here and I'm abiding in him and I'm so glad that I get to. Do you guys get it? This is my emotional mask. When I get too emotional, I just cover my face. Because what else? There's nothing else out there, you know? And then God was good enough. I said, God, I'm going to go talk about these verses with people. Can you just show me one more verse that says exactly what John 15 says? And then I heard the phrase, if you see someone in need, and that's all I heard. And so I Googled it, and it was in 1 John. Let me just read it to you. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal, eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's good and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's not saying this, how is that person saved? It's not saying, it's not mentioning salvation, it's talking about this. It's just a person who's not abiding in him. He doesn't have the love of the Father in him, which means that he can't do this, which is why he can't give to his brother in need. This, this, blow, this blows me away. Are you guys ready for it? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. You guys get it? 
When you go and you pray for someone's healing or when you go and prophesy to somebody, it's not enough just to know that the heart of the Father and the desire of God is to heal them. The the desire and heart of the Father is to prophesy, to bring healing. You have to know that this is your goal and you need to have confidence in your heart that you woke up to love and you're abiding because that's all you want to do is love people. I was my neighbor across the street. Like, how many of you guys pray for the sick? Does anybody do that kind of on a regular basis? And like, like, I don't know about you guys, but like sometimes I, I don't see certain parts of the body get healed and I see other parts get healed and I kind of tally them in my head for some weird reason. And usually when people get a shoulder operation and I go to pray for them, I don't usually see healing. But you know what I told myself the other day? I said, I, I've been the most generous I've ever been. I've actually been laying down my life in a way I never had before. I bet you that shoulder is going to get healed as soon as I touch it. And my neighbor, he lives across the street. He's like a DEA agent and he doesn't know the Lord. And I said, excuse me. I said, uh, I see you're in a sling there. I said, did you just have a shoulder operation? He goes, yeah. I'm like, is it hurt? And he's like, yeah, it's a 10 out of 10. And I said, I bet you if I prayed for it, it was totally out of the blow. I, bet, I said, I bet you it would heal. I said, I said, let me just come over there real quick. I said, 30 seconds, laid hands on him. Boom, boom, thing, thing was healed like that. Two prayers, thing went down to a zero, from a 10 to a zero. He started talking all fast because he was nervous because he didn't know what to do with that. But if I know in my heart that I'm laying down my life and the reason I wake up in the morning is to like be the gospel, let me read it to you again, because that almost sounds like heresy, but let me, just, let me just say this. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. And we know, and we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit of whom he has given us. If you go before that, it says, and whatever, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Why isn't your heart condemning you? Because you know that you've been doing everything you can to love people, that you wake up to love people. So your heart's not condemned when you go and lay hands on somebody. You actually have a clean conscience. And you say, this is why I exist. This is, this is what I'm about. I'm not here for me just to have a testimony so I can go and share it. I'm here because this is why I'm here on the earth is to actually love people. And it's, that, it's your heart's confidence that causes the Lord to give you whatever you ask in prayer because you've actually been abiding in him. So when people say, well, why, why am I not seeing God move more? Well, like, guys, I, this is like big boy stuff, but there's actually conditions on our prayers. You have to meet the conditions for God to answer the prayer. What's the condition that you love people? He doesn't partner with pride and he doesn't partner with greed and he doesn't partner with selfishness or selfish ambition. He partners with this and this alone. Now, have I prayed for people and seen them healed and I wasn't really loving them? Yes, because he's like so gracious and he's like, well, you're on the right track at least. At least you're like being brave. Here's a little healing. Good job. You know, but it's, it's like, there comes a certain point in your maturity where you're expected to have his heart. All right. Has the what? I just found out that I wasn't as loving as I possibly could be. Like I, but, but if you asked me three weeks ago, are you loving people to the best of your ability? I would have said yes, but I had ability I didn't realize I had. So if I'm not seeing people get healed, there's still probably more room for this. Does that make sense? Did that make sense? But you're already aware of his scheme by even saying that. Well, yeah, I know. That's true. And we'll get, we'll get to all that in a second. But you know what? When I don't see people get healed, I do exactly what you just said there. Father, 
there's a place where I can love people better. I'm not saying something here. Yeah, your, your word says this. And there's a place for me to actually be more like you. And I humble myself before you. I'll even do that when I'm praying with somebody. If I'm praying for someone's back, it's back pain. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, and it's not leaving. I, I just start apologizing right then and there to the Father. I said, Father, I humble myself before you. This stuff's supposed to flee in your name and it's still here. So Father, just forgive me. There's a place where I can see this better, where I can be loving people better. I think I'm here because I love this person. And all of a sudden it leaves. All right, are you guys ready? Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount talks about practicing righteousness. It has 19 verses about giving, two on fasting, 11 on prayer. I'm going to say it again. Someone say amen when I say this. Two on fasting, amen. What if it was 19 on fasting? Whew. 11 on prayer, 19 verses on giving. Practicing righteousness, okay? Man. Matthew 6, 19 through 22. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's the one they usually say before offerings. Your heart follows the money. And it's like, you, you can't, it doesn't, it absolutely does not say the other way. You want it to be the other way, but that's not what it says. Wherever your money goes, that's where your devotion goes. And if you decide to spend this on self, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying you can't buy a cheeseburger. Okay, I'm not saying you can't buy a new sweatshirt. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is, is if you continuously spend your money on your wants while other people have need, your affection for self will increase and your affection for the Lord will actually decrease. That's what the verse is saying. And I don't want my affection to decrease. I want it to increase. And so, and there's so much good stuff about money. It also says that I, I can't get ahead of myself. Matthew 6, 24 through 34. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious about your life. And see, that's what is really preventing us from giving. It's actually anxiety and fear that we won't have enough. And all he does through Matthew 6 is say, do not worry about having enough. Make sure that you're generous and I'll make sure that you have enough. As to what you shall eat or drink or what you shall wear on your body, as to what you shall put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. For all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So your job is to simply seek the kingdom right? Which means that you're going to love people and you're going to have, and you're going to love God, which is a very healthy prayer life, relational prayer life with Jesus. That's how you seek the kingdom first. And he says that you're going to have more than enough, 
okay? I'm going to, oh, man. Matthew 6, 22. I'm sure you guys have heard this verse. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that verse is in the context of money. It's money that that verse is actually referring to, and it was, which is in the context of it. And then finally, in, in um, 2 Chronicles 16, 2 through 3, then Asa brought out silver and gold. This is, I can't even... The Lord is so good, he gave me another verse. And I told, this is what Brian told me. I said, hey, is there a verse about the heart and God being devoted towards it? And he said this, Brian said this, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And that's a rebuke because King Asa is actually being rebuked by a prophet here. And he says, the Lord looks around for the heart that's fully devoted to him so that he can strengthen it. But your heart wasn't fully devoted for him. Why? Because he pulled out the gold and silver out of the temple to buy the participation of another king in battle. He took his money. Instead of trusting the Lord with it, I mean, could you imagine going into the temple and emptying the gold and silver? That's God's gold and silver. He emptied it to go and get the uh, participation of another king. That actually deals with money. And he's being rebuked because he took the money that was the Lord's and he actually went and got what he wanted with it. Okay, you guys following me? So your destiny, your affection, your devotion, and your practical purity are actually wrapped up in money. But here's the thing. I should have done this before. If you guys could just extend your hands like this. I just want to pray. Father, if anybody's ever been touched wrong in here by money, like the, if our devotion towards you, money actually matters, then the enemy is messing us up on this topic every chance he can get. And I rebuke what the enemy is telling anybody in here about money. If it's not what you're saying, we don't want to hear it. And I ask that it be removed out of the room. I want to take a break, but I want to just tell you this story. Um, you can open your eyes. I was at Thursday night. You guys, no, no one's been touched wrong by money like I've been touched wrong by it. Um, I, I've been healed of it, but, I didn't, I, I, but the Lord had to actually remind me that the pastor I used to serve was all, actually all about money. He was actually involved in so much scandal around money, I actually, um, uh, <clears throat> he was actually firing people in the church and I was picking up their responsibilities and he was picking up their check. Do, do you know what I mean? So everything, like I became like the everything pastor and he became like the, the guy who cashed everyone's check pastor. And, um, and, he, and he got dealt with like in, in the craziest way you could possibly imagine. And... Um, I've always prided myself. Here's how the enemy got me on money. Because as a pastor, I had pride because I didn't speak about money because I didn't want anybody to think that I was about their money and that I wanted it. So I felt like I'm being so humble because I'm not talking about money. Meanwhile, I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteeing that my people aren't learning about how to give their heart to the Lord. That makes sense? <coughs> I got frustrated with Brian one night at church service. I said, how come you never take offering?" at our Thursday night service. He's like, well, I don't want to interrupt worship. And I said, I never want you to do that again. We took the offering the first night. Do you know how much money was in the offering? 22 bucks. And I looked at it and I was like, this is like pathetic. And, um, and the Lord, this is before he talked to me about money. 
And he started to talk to me about it. And um, I went to New Life for Girls, which is a, a, a recovery center for women. And I went there and I talked to them about what the Lord had been talking to me about. At the end of the night, we were at the altar. We were, we were at the, on our knees asking the Lord to put a grace upon us to actually be generous. I walked out of that room changed. I don't have a desire for things anymore, for things. You know what I mean? Like I used to look forward to, like I don't know how you guys do money, but my wife and I have an allowance system and like we, which we get money each week. If you want a haircut, if you want clothes, if you want to go out to eat, if you want to do something with the kids, if you want to do something for the spouse. <coughs> and um, every week now, I just have a ton of money just to give away because I don't want to, like, I don't, I don't have a desire for it. Does that make sense? So then I went back to my church. Sure. Look at you guys. See, it's already getting in your bones, this generosity thing. <laughs> that is not water. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for the flavor. It's good, though. Thank you. I went back to my church the next week, and, um, and all, I did, all I did was pray that, that the same generosity that was on me would come on my people. Do you know how much was in the offering on a Thursday night? We've never been able to collect $250 to pay a guest speaker on a Thursday night. We collected almost $1,000 because all I did was pray for two minutes. I didn't sit there and give them a long explanation of money. I just said, Lord, would you give us a grace of generosity? And ever since I've been talking about it with my people, people have been having their hearts like almost knit to the Lord's. And some incredible things have happened. And uh, just one other quick testimony. I was, um, I was mowing my lawn. Do you guys know? Do you guys know who Derek Prince is? Not Joseph Prince. Derek Prince. He's like an old English guy. He's dead. He did a lot of deliverance, and uh, really respect his teaching. He just seems so solid. He's very dry, but he's very wise. And I was listening to him, and I was mowing the lawn. And I, this is when I prayed to the Lord. This is so neat. I said, Lord, I would really like to hear what Derek Prince has to say about money. And um, Five minutes later, Jared, like if you guys have iPhones, like sometimes you're watching YouTube and listening to it in headphones and like sometimes it has to think. Well, the, the, the thing turned off on me and I just assumed it was thinking. Do you know what popped up on my phone? The Christian and Money by Derek Prince. It's just like one teaching and it just popped up on my phone and I listened to it. And you know what was on it? Everything that I'm telling you. Everything the Lord had showed me, he had verified through this other teacher. And I was absolutely floored by it. When we get back, um, what time is it? How much more time do I have left? And how late to go? Okay. I, I want to just, I want to take a 10 minute break and then we're going to walk through the phases of giving as far as we can get through the phases of giving. Okay. But I, I don't want you, I, w- I want you guys like back and ready to be focused. Okay. So go ahead and take a break and we'll come back in uh, 10 minutes and we'll get going. So giving phase one, and these, these, these phases that I'm talking about, they're not, I'm not belittling anything. I called the first phase, Jesus just loves me, because there's just a phase where that's exactly what a pe- person needs to hear, and that's exactly where a person needs to be. And they actually need to get to the point that they're actually loved by Jesus. If someone doesn't believe that they're loved by Jesus, and you start requiring them to love, they actually don't have the love of Jesus to actually give. I want to say this without trying to like lose my mind. If God is love, self-sacrificial love, God is love, and people don't have God, then they actually don't have love to give. 
So let's say you grew up with uh, two non-Christian parents. I mean, it sounds so harsh, but it's, I mean, it's just true. They actually um, are doing their best to love you without the love of God. Does that make sense? And so you might say, well, my parents didn't love me. Well, people are only loving people to the degree that they actually have God's love. And they're only loving people to the degree that they're actually abiding in him. It makes sense? And then like people do this, young people do this. And this is so crazy. They say this, well, like the Bible says to like marry a, a believer. And then like non-Christians are like, nah, I think I know better than God. I think they're just gonna believe, I'm gonna marry this person. They don't have the love of God in them and they probably won't ever have it, but somehow they'll love me well. And it's like, no, they're not, it's not, not even close. Like the best the world can do is to love you so it feels better about itself. Does that make sense? It's still selfish love, but it's like, Some fathers love their kids to feel like a good father and it has nothing to do with the kids. You know what I mean? Some people do that in their marriages. They just simply do what they have to do to feel like an okay spouse. It's not the love of God. So if somebody doesn't have the love of God, then they can't actually love you. (coughs) Excuse me. And to all those listening. Okay. make a rap song out of it. So this is their posture towards God. I'm just receiving. The current issue is ignorance, fear, and lack of faith. The reason why there's fear and lack of faith is because in the beginning of a relationship, there's always fear and lack of faith. Because you don't know him yet, how could you have faith in him? So there's a lack of faith in the beginning of a relationship. There's also fear around having enough and that he won't meet your needs. Um, And there's a few warnings to this. So basically, the most a person can do in this relationship with God is sort of like tip God at the end of the week if they have some money to put in the plate. Make sense? Or they might give somebody some money. But it's a very, very little amount compared to what they're actually spending on themselves and their wants. Because they're still trying to find joy here because they don't even know that they can find joy here in loving people. Does that make sense? Okay. People have ignorance around money in scriptures. I just want to read to you guys some of the verses. Honor the Lord. This is Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So if you honor the Lord with your money, what's going to happen? Yes. You're in charge now because you got that. Everybody else is trying to figure it out. (laughs) Boom, you're in charge now. And you might say, well, is is that the prosperity gospel? Listen, why was God leading them to to the land of milk and honey? So that they could have milk and honey. If the plan was, no, it's better for you to eat manna, then we're just gonna remain here. Does that make sense? No generation would have left the desert if it was better just to eat manna. He was trying to get them to eat manna so they'd st- quit trying to find their joy in food, find it in the Lord so they could be trusted with milk and honey. That's what the Lord wants to do with our finances. He does want you blessed so that you could be a blessing. But the first thing you've got to realize is that you can actually trust him with your giving. 
I'm going to need another one of these. Okay. It's, so, it's like almost like dry. Um, yeah. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25. There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, but his result is only in one. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. So what happens when you're generous? You will be what? The Bible says that, right? Thank you. You're in charge now too. Come on. Proverbs 28, 26 through 27. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. He who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. Okay? Proverbs 22, 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. This is Jesus now, Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour it into your lap for by your standard of measure they will be measured to you in return. Okay. At my church, um, we were... Remember how I told you that we were having trouble financially with that last pastor? And he ended up, like the worst thing could possibly happen to him, he ended up committing suicide. And he died. And then I had to navigate the church after that. And everybody just kind of left. (laughs) <laughs> and nobody really stuck around. But I was learning about identity, so I didn't take it personally. And I was just filled with the Holy Spirit, so I was kind of like on fire for the Lord, right? There you go. When you guys, when you guys' budget gets bigger, I want the full thing. <laughs> this is where we're at. You guys are being good stewards. Um... <laughs> yeah, they're like balls. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So I got with the financial treasurer guy, and, and he, this is what he said to me. He said, you're going to have to wait till next week to cash your check. And that's awesome to hear as a pastor. And because my next question was, why? And he said, because we don't have enough money to cash it. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And I said, oh. I said, well, what do you want to do about this financial situation? Here's my thought. I said, I was so filled with faith. I said, my, what I was thinking to myself was I need to get my resume out and uh, start looking for a job. And he said, this is what we can do. He said, we can start giving some of this money away. And he goes, I had an idea. And he goes, I think it's from the Lord. He goes, what if every month we're in the black financially, which we hadn't been in like a year, right? We were always in the red, 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 red. I said, and what if, he goes, every time we're in the black, we give 1% of our money away to some other like missions or, or something. And I said, sure. Because we hadn't been in the black. I was like, I don't care at that point. I'm thinking about my resume. The very next month, we were in the black. And we have to give 10% away as a denomination, right? So you know what we did? We gave away 11%. And then the next month, we were in the black. We were in the black over the next two years, maybe like 16 times. Um, and now as a church, and... It's, this is our story. This isn't a standard. We give away 30% of our money as a church, okay? That's a miracle. And as a testimony, it's, it's to the Lord that if you give, he will make sure that you get. Does that make sense? Because we couldn't afford it. I'm glad I didn't go anywhere too. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour it into your lap. By, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. 
2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Let each one do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make grace, all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. That's the mature believer right there. All grace, all abundance, all necessary to bless everyone who needs to be blessed. I often, often think about, like, is it possible that one person can get to the place where they're so selfless that every need in the town is taken care of because of that, that one person? Because they're so trustworthy with money. Okay. So phase one was called what? Jesus just loves me, and it's a phase where you just get to know the love of God, and you're kind of tipping God at the end of that phase. Phase number two. All right. I call this phase, Jesus is my priest phase. And somewhere along the line, you start hearing about this thing called the tithe. Now, I want to say this about the tithe. I had Dan Muller come to my church. Do you guys know who Dan Muller is? He said this about the tithe. He said, he goes, I don't, I don't believe that the New Testament believer is required to tithe he goes, but I trust as you begin to know God that you'll be giving way more than, than the tithe. That's what he said. And, um, and I, 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 it's, it's true. There's, you just get to a place where God's proven himself time and time again with money that you just trust him with money. So let me talk to you guys about this a little bit. Cain, through faith, actually heard in his heart that he was supposed to give his best and first onto the Lord, onto the, onto the Lord, onto the Lord. He gave the fat portions and he gave his firstlings, right? So it was his best and his first. He heard that in the spirit and he actually did it and God was pleased with his offering. Abraham t- heard it too when he was dealing with Melchizedek. It's a weird story. This priest of the Lord comes out of nowhere, greets Abraham after this victory of war, war and he gives 10% of the spoils to this priest called Melchizedek who is kind of this archetype of Jesus Christ. Right? And in Hebrews it says, and he who has no beginning and end still receives the tithe. Right? Jesus himself runs into Pharisees and he actually says, he says this to them. He says, You're right that you should tithe, right? That you do the former, but you have forgotten the latter, which is love and mercy and kindness. These Pharisees had gotten so much pride around this tithe, right? It's as if this next phase didn't exist, but Jesus Christ was actually calling them to actually go above and beyond the tithe. Because you can actually get prideful in the fact that you give 10%. How many of you guys remember before you gave 10% how hard it was actually to give 10% and then after giving 10%, it's like nothing? Does that make sense? It's like you don't even notice that it's gone and you don't have any need and everything's just fine. But it's, it's not relational anymore. Before you tithe, you're like, oh, God, Jesus, like, oh, okay, we'll try this, you know? And it's like, oh, this is kind of exciting. But then after a while, it's, it's just non-relational. It's just something that you do. And I'm not making small of it, but at one point, it's a very big deal. After a while, it's no longer a big deal because he's proven faithful time and time and time and time and time and time again when it comes to the tithe. I have tons of scriptures in there on phase two. 
um, Jacob. Let me read this to you this in Malachi 3, 7 through 12. It says this, and, and, and we've heard this before. I'm not telling you so. You make sure you tithe. If you're in this phase, do this phase. If you're in this phase, do this phase. I'll get to the next phase. But listen to what it says in Malachi. Because I think it's ironic that there's a certain percent. Because if, this is so crazy. It's, it's almost like, God, how much do you want me to give? And he says 10%. 10% is like a big deal, right? But then afterwards, it's not a big deal anymore. But let me just read to you what he says. From the days of your fathers, we have turned aside from, from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you. Do you guys see that God's not actually with them in this verse? See, like people can't really see this stuff. He's saying, if you return, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. It actually says that in the New Testament. So there's times where people grow far away from God. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. Now listen to what he says. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be found food in my house. And test me now on this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine on the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And then they, listen to this, and all the nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land. Now, let me just say this. Do you know that it's, oh, his kindness is too good. Do you know he says, test me on this? You know what he could have said? Listen up, you idiots. 10% of it's mine. I don't have to explain myself, nor do I have to bless you. You better give me what's mine or I'm going to strike you dead. That's what he could have said. He doesn't say that in there. He says, test me on this. Because why? Because he has compassion and knows that for some people it's really hard. You know what I tell people? I said, if you want to test him on this, this is what I would do. Tithe for six months and if you don't find yourself blessed, don't ever give another cent. Just try it. If people haven't tried it, go ahead and try it. Try it for six months and see if you're not blessed out of your mind. Let's see what the Lord will do. And if it doesn't work, I guess he failed the test and you never have to give another dollar. Do you guys see that? All right. Are you guys tracking or are you guys numb? Are you guys thinking? Are you guys thinking? Let's turn it off. Okay, I'm back. Okay. Oh, my. Let me read to you the passage in Luke. It says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But there are, these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So the love of God and justice. Do you, do you guys know what Pharisees were notorious for walking by? People in need. And Pharisees said they were cursed by God. I'm blessed by God and they're cursed by God. And they were called to actually give to those who were in need, but they were notorious for neglecting him. In fact, that's why the Pharisees got upset when he told the Good Samaritan story, because they were in it as one pe- person who was walking by. Okay, now, phase number three. Um, Jesus as prophet. Now, I don't mean that in like a Muslim kind of way. 
like where Jesus is just a prophet. I mean that as in like Jesus, like you relate to him as prophet and he can come to you and speak to you and he can actually trust you with some of his plans. Because here's the jump. I believe that here you are learning about God, you're learning that God loves you, you're learning to trust him and all this stuff. On these next phases, God is actually trusting you. Okay? So, you're still giving to God your first and your best. You're still meeting your own needs and your own bills, but you're putting God again before your wants. You might say, well, how are you doing that? By meeting other people's needs. So you put other people's needs in front of your wants. You guys tracking with that? Okay. Like I said before, I think I was telling you this in the restaurant. Like for me, like I'm, I'm just like dying to like run into need. Or I might have said that in here in the beginning. Like I've been just dying to like, like I, as before, like when I see somebody who was sick, I'd run over to him and want to pray. Now I just, if anybody's in need, I just want to run over to him and just give him what I got. Because that means that my affection for the Lord will increase. It means that my devotion increases. It means he's going to trust me with true riches when I give my manna away. How many of you want to be trusted with true riches? I only get 60 bucks a week, all right? I know some people who get a lot more than that, but even that 60 a week, I don't really need it. Why? Because I have food, I have clothes. I have a refrigerator that's filled with food. I can make myself a sandwich. I don't have to go out to eat. But does that mean that I can't go out to eat? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that like, I like having lots of money in my pocket to be able to bless people if the opportunity arises. All right. You guys ready for phase three? So Jesus is my uh, prophet, posture towards God, trusting God to hear where help is needed. The current issue that you're um, dealing with is devotion and relationship. The Bible example is Ananias and Zacchaeus, and the warning is given to the rich young ruler. Okay. So I have down here the Holy Spirit as teacher. Um, Do you guys see this slide right here? Do you see how you're moving from the matriarchal nurturing to the patriarchal empowerment right there? Phase one, that is the smallest font I've ever seen in my life. I apologize, but I have really good eyes, so I'll read it to you. In phase one, this is this phase, you're concerned with self. You're kind of blind and deaf spiritually, and you're, um, you have unconscious incompetence. What I, what I mean by that is you don't even realize how incompetent you are. Have you guys ever ran into somebody who thinks they know everything, but they actually know nothing? But because they know nothing, they think they know everything? That's how we all kind of are when we come to the Lord, okay? It's the next phase where we actually find out. When somebody finds out, oh man, they're they're consciously incompetent. They're like, I don't really know anything. And I'm not really good at anything either. That's a really good place to be because now you can actually do something about your incompetence, okay? That's what phase two is, is actually. And he wants you, in phase two, he wants to give you eyes to see the goodness of the Lord. So you're going to practice generosity and you're going to see him bless you because he needs you to see it. Like, did you know that miracles happened in Egypt, they happened in the desert, and they happened in the promised land? Miracles are not the evidence of how mature you are. 
okay? He put miracles in each one because he wanted you to see how good he is. It's in phase three where he wants you to have ears to hear. And what I mean by that, there's nothing cooler than this. Have you guys ever been like praying and like God put a person on your heart and a certain amount of money? And you like went to them and you said, I felt like the Lord told me to give you this. And they just started like crying. And they were like, how did you know? The Lord told me, right? I've, I've probably told this story before, but let, let me tell it again. Did I ever tell you about going to uh, Haas's with Todd White? Did I ever tell you that story? Does anybody know who Todd White is? All right. I went, I was at Harvest Chapel for Power and Love. Todd, Todd White is kind of like this big evangelist guy now. He's got a heart of gold. There's tons of things in the internet against him. Um, but I, 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 I know him and he is a really good guy. And um, we went to uh, Haas's and basically he had a one-man revival in Haas's. He has a lot to say about generosity too. He always tips the bill to his waiter or waitress. Whatever the bill is, he writes 100% tip right? And he gives them that tip before, he goes, I want to give you this before you serve us. And they say, why? Because he's, then that's how he says, he says, because Jesus Christ died well before I deserved it or ever will. And I want to give you what the bill is, like basically tips 100% of the bill before the meal's even given. And he talks to him about Jesus the whole time. Well, he's at Hosses and I'm just learning, I'm just learning how to be charismatic and, and he's up there, he's getting words of knowledge, he's, he's healing all these people, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and God's doing amazing things through him. And we're on the way out. And on the way out, he looks at this one waitress and he says, here, ring me up for a soda. And he, he rings him up for a soda. She, he writes her a $189 tip on a soda. He's not doing this in front of us. I'm peeking. I'm like eavesdropping. I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to see what he's doing because he was doing some amazing stuff. He takes it and he says to her, you owe $189 on your cell phone bill, and if you don't pay it, they're going to turn it off. And if they turn off your cell phone bill, you probably won't be able to show up in court to get custody of your son. And then he said this, now get back to church because Jesus Christ has just paid your phone bill and you give him glory. She started to scream and she fell to the ground and started weeping. She goes, ah! and he turned around and walked out. So did I. I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So that's what's possible. That's why I feel like a baby sometimes at this thing because I've seen what's actually possible and what people can do. And I've seen them. I've walked into a restaurant. I, I've never, I, I am, compared to what he did in that restaurant, I know what it looks like to actually love people to a full capacity. And there's a place for him to even grow. And he has since then. So it's like, yes, we're always growing. But he was pretty effective in that restaurant. All right. Wasn't that convicting? Like in a good way. You know what I mean? Because it's possible. Yeah, whoo. All right. So phase three, he wants to give you ears to hear and he wants you to be consciously competent. In phase four, phase three is about others and like ministry. And phase four is just about his glory, your devoted heart and an unconscious competent where you're walking and you can't help but love people. Like that's just your bag and that's just how you do it. Okay, that's awesome. I would like to get there before I die. Okay. So, God's first. And so, like personally, like my wife and I will always tie 10% to the church, right? That's never ever, I'm never not going to do that personally. My conscience wouldn't be okay if I didn't do that. And I'm not telling you, you have to do that. I'm just saying like, that's just where my wife and I are at. Um, then we have bills 
And then her and I get to decide um, things. Like I asked the Lord, um, I assume this is like a check. Is it a check? Like this is going to um, uh, a family whose husband was just arrested and she has four kids or yeah, four kids. And the fourth one was born four days before the, the guy went to prison. And so like we, we prayed and this is what we felt like we were supposed to do with this, whatever this is. And so we're excited to give this to her. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, so it's like we're, we're praying and just asking like, okay, God, like where can we give? We want to hear where this stuff's supposed to go. And because we're doing that, he's going to trust us with more truer riches. Do you know what true riches probably are? Probably the stuff that that guy was doing in Hosses, right? Okay. Matthew 12, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. John 15, 14 through 16. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what, t- what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all the things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So there's a time when you're actually a servant of God, then there's a time where you become a friend of God. And just because we sing friend of God, we might not be in that phase yet. Those disciples served Jesus and then they became his friends. And they made the plans known. Do you remember when uh, Peter went to Cornelius' house? Do you remember how he ended up getting there? He had a dream and he had a vision. And then God said, there's two guys coming for you. I want you to go. That's pretty cool. I would like that in my life more. I would like my life to be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit more. But he laid down everything he had and he was able to get involved in the plans of God. I want some of that. Okay. Or there's this guy, Ananias, and like, uh, good Ananias, who's in Acts chapter nine, and Paul is blinded, and he's blown off his donkey, right? And, and uh, the Lord has called him into ministry. And he comes to Ananias, and he says to Ananias, I want you to go and lay hands on Paul. And Ananias is like, I'd rather not. And you can kind of tell that's not the first conversation they had because he's so casual about it. And I, I want that relationship with God where like he's giving me specific instructions and I'm going. There's a, there's a time and a phase where you're just kind of taking risk and you're like, I, kind of th- I, I, I think this is what the Lord is saying. Um, so I'm just gonna take risk and I'm just gonna pray and I'm just gonna do risky things. But there's a place where you have such a conviction that you know that the Lord said to go and do it, that you show up into that situation with so much faith because you know that you were called into it. I'd like that in my life. Or when Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, and he says, salvation has come to this house. And this is what Zacchaeus says. I love it. And at the end, it says, and Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give four times back as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. This guy jumped right to phase three. But this is the warning to phase three people who get prideful in their giving. Matthew 9, 19, 16. Now someone approached him and said, teacher, what good must I do to gain eternal life? And he answered him, why do you ask me about the good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter life, keep the commandments. He asked him, which ones? Jesus replied, he basically gave him the 10. And then the guy said, and all these I have observed, what do I lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, if you wish to be mature, if you wish to be complete, 
This is what he says. This is exactly what phase four is. I'm still trying to figure it out, guys. It's all God's. God can ask you to do anything and you'll do it. Even if it costs you everything, you'll do it because he's God and he's your friend and you do it for your friend. Does that make sense? So listen to this. If you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Amen. I say to you, it will be hard for one who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For human beings this is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said to him in reply, We have given up everything and followed you. What will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you that who, you who have followed me in the new age when the Son of Man is seated on his throne of glory, you will yourselves sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers and mothers or children or lands for the sake of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. Isn't that cool? Then there's the Good Samaritan story. What I think is so cool about the Good Samaritan story is the man laid down all he had for a stranger whom he saw value in. That's all I'll say about it. So in phase four, the posture towards God is he's everything. And your current issues are time, legacy, and your life as an offering. In this, in this phase four, he's king. He's your friend, he's your priest, he's your prophet, and he's your king. Everything you have is his and you were willing to lay down anything for him. The issue is legacy because you start to realize that you only have this amount of time to actually leave one. As before, you were more interested in just kind of getting to the promised land and being blessed. Now that you're in the promised land and you are blessed, your only concern is being a blessing. You're like, oh my God, like everything that I do in this life really does matter. And this is the only time I'm going to be able to bring him glory by faith. And he's pleased by faith. And this is the time where I could actually please him the most. And so now your main concern is time and legacy. Okay? Not whether or not you have enough, not whether or not um, he's going to bless you, not the needs of others, but him. You're still concerned with these things, but it's him that you're concerned with by the end of it. Does anybody have any questions so far? Are you guys doing okay? Is it too much? Okay. I want to read to you Acts 4, verse 32 through 37. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. It's pretty fascinating. But all things were common property to them, and with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Abundant grace. Does anybody know what grace is? It's, it's the charis of God. Charis is the empowerment of God. There was great grace, great empowerment. God had came 
and, and partnered with a group of people. And there were great signs and wonders and everybody shared everything together and there was nobody in need. Do you guys see the connections? Okay. And how many people were coming to the Lord daily? A lot. Thousands, okay? For there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. A jo- and Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translates son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Could you imagine um, God moving somebody so powerfully that they went and sold their beach home that was worth like $600,000 and just brought it in and just laid it down. You know what I mean? God's doing something. And listen to me. It's not, none of this is by your effort. You're not gonna move in the flesh towards any of this stuff. It's by his grace. It's the grace of God that ends up taking you from phase to phase to phase. Okay, the only thing you can do is humble yourself and say, God, I need your grace to come upon me if your grace comes upon me, your generosity comes upon me, then I can be generous. But you can't do it in the flesh and you're certainly not going to do it long term. So when, you, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about the possibilities of God's grace. Not You can't sit there and say this, well, hmm, I'm in this phase, I think I'm going to start doing this so I can move to the next phase. It's, you can't do it. It's a grace that comes upon you. Okay? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping some of this stuff. You guys can look at it. I want to get to this thing in uh, Macedonia. It's the last page. Second Chronicles chapter 8, 1 through 5. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. Did you guys hear that? The grace of God, which has been given. So it's given. The grace of God that which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So there's a place called Macedonia. The grace of God, the grace of God, the empowerment of God came upon the churches of Macedonia. Okay? Then in a greater deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So three things were happening. Are you guys ready? They were afflicted. They weren't, Christianity wasn't popular. Okay? So they were in affliction. They still had abundance of joy and they had deep poverty, and it overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of the participation and the support of the saints. They begged him to take an offering. Isn't that cool? They were like, we can't take it anymore. Here, we don't have anything, but this good news that you shared with us has to go where we can't go. So in our poverty, we're going to give you. And even to the point where it affects our own needs, we're going to give to you to make sure that this gospel goes where it needs to go. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So how does the grace come? Ah. Oh. There's a, I used, I used to hate like um, 
rededications to the Lord. Like you'd go to church camp and like all the kids would be crying and they're all Christians, but they'd all come and they'd rededicate themselves to the Lord. And like, you're like, it's not that I hated it. I was just like, I was so skeptical of it. You know what I mean? That they'd be able to like maintain, they had like Christianity culture like in a week and they were moved. So they wanted to dedicate their lives. And I'd always, I was always suspicious. I'm like, yeah, but they're going to go right back to the ways of the world and do something. And that was the wrong way of thinking. They dedicated themselves to the Lord and God came and put a grace on them that empowered them over and above what the world was telling them and directing them to do. So when I say that you can't do it on your own strength, there's a certain level of, of uh, I'll, I'll say, negative spiritual activity in our lives when it comes to this. I hope this makes sense. It makes sense in my mind. There's like triple bad, double bad, single bad above it. And when you rededicate yourself or dedicate yourself to the Lord, you're saying, God, I want your grace to come so that there's less negative spiritual activity around money in my life. And, he, and that empowerment picks you up out of that place and brings you up to a higher place where there's less. Because down here, there's fear of like not having enough. And then like here, there's still like um, joy, or I'm going to say false joy in stuff. You know, I'm not making a science out of it. I'm just trying to make a diagram. It's like, I want to give myself to the Lord so that a grace comes and empowers me into the like less negative spiritual activity. Does that make sense? And he can do it. But you can't do this in the flesh. Like you can't like, Say, well, I'm just going to try harder. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Not with money, it doesn't. Because it's a, it's a, it's the bottleneck. Like money is the bottleneck of where God wants to take you, but he can't take you past your own generosity. He wants to increase the, the, what he's saying and what he's, what he's doing in your life but the more that you're in your life, the less that he's in your life. The more you lay down, the more he can come. Specifically around money. And I'm still not going to take an offering at the end of the night, right? The reason being, and the reason why that money's going somewhere else is because I don't teach on money for my sake or Tim's sake. I'm teaching on money for your sake because I want the activity of God to be increased in your life. And as long as there is some forms of greed in our life, we level off the activity of God. You guys following me? So without any music playing, how many of you would like that grace to come? I did this at New Life for Girls and I did this at my own church and it actually came. Like a grace came upon us and there's more generosity now. So it's like for real, okay? Okay. So if you guys want that in your life, come join me at the altar. And if you can take a knee, if you can't, you can just stand. That's fine. So Father, and, and just, just agree in your heart. And at the end, I'll ask you to say amen, okay? Father, we're, we're at this altar because there's a place for you to just come and give us empowerment and grace to be more generous. We're here to dedicate our lives to you. 
We're here to dedicate our lives to the mission of Christ and the gospel. And Lord, we're figuring that out. You're so patient with these different places that we're all at. And Lord, I'm not calling anybody up to, to obey a law. I'm calling you to put grace on us so that we could be more generous. And that, that, that in this place, in Delaware, that, that God would be made known in this house and in these people. That they would be blessed to be a blessing and that they'd see the work of God and the activity of God in their lives increased after tonight through, a, through the grace that's given to them to be more generous. Lord, there, there's, there's so much more that you have for us. Forgive us for ever standing in your way. Forgive us for not trusting you, God. But right now, in Jesus' name, we dedicate our lives to you. Would you put a grace on us like you did the Macedonians to be generous and to be able to give even when it doesn't make sense. In this we pray, amen. And say amen if you agree. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. I want to read you guys a word. You what? This? No, I got it this morning. The car. No, this is the one I was going to mention in the car. It says... um, Thank you guys for being patient and listening to that sermon. Do you guys like it? Yeah. Not for my own affirmation, but it's very biblical. And I love it. So this is for Gateway Fellowship. I saw a drain and water going down it. Whenever something is moving in the tub towards the pipe that leads out, it begins to run faster and faster. At the same time, it begins to start a circular motion around the container as it begins to enter the space above the drain. So it starts to go like this, then it starts to spin faster. This can feel like things are repetitive and out of control. The best thing you can do is relax, let go, and enjoy the ride. I see recruits coming in, people who are in phase one, not phase 10. I see compassion for those who have no foundation being prepared and being worked with. I see people inviting two people to everything. It's like, like they came two by two. I see personal invitations. This is what they say. I want you to come with me. I want to be with you. I see people putting down their phones and being with each other and enjoying each other's company. And like what I saw in my mind was like people actually not coming to church without inviting two people to church. Does that make sense? And it's not that you always brought two people with you. It's that you never entered the building without inviting two people. Whether or not they came with you or not doesn't matter. I felt like I heard the word let go, not in a surrender type of way, but understand this. You have nothing to lose. Nothing can be taken from you. It all belongs to God. The only thing worse than being a lost sheep without a shepherd is being a stubborn sheep not moving on to the next pasture where the shepherd has already gone. When all the grass is eaten and the only thing that remains is dirt and poop, it's not fun for anyone and it stinks. It's time to be with your first love. Then enjoy what it is he wants to show you. I felt like I heard this also. The teaching of the Nicolaitans is being brought down in this place, which means testimony is going to increase. The teaching of the Nicolaitans isn't necessarily taught but is more of a stronghold in people's thinking that says they are the minister and I'm just a part of the congregation. We are a holy priesthood and we have been called and have callings on our lives. You don't need a formal ministry to love people. Permission is granted. That's what I heard for you guys this morning. Does anybody have any questions about anything I taught? Was it taught in such a way that there's just no questions? That's how black and white it was.
<laughs> well, Tim does that. Like, like um, so does Brian. Like, I, I, like, I'll go to them with like a question and they'll be like, hmm. And I'll be like, I'm done asking, you answer. Like, what are you thinking about? Just answer the question. But people, like, I'm getting used to internal processors and external processors. But there's no questions about anything. All right, ask Tim. Tomorrow there will be. All right. Let me pray for you guys. So, Father, I, I just thank you for my, uh, my, my time here. Uh, I, I just felt your presence again when I was teaching that. You've been so kind to me with those teachings. You've been so patient with me. And I, I, have, I have felt like a little kid asking you to affirm that over and over again just because I was scared to talk on it the first time, God, and you were just so encouraged me. And you're so patient. I bless this house. So let your will be done. Let, let anything the, the, the enemy is up to just be exposed in the name of Jesus and that it would be plain to see. Let there be confirmations like crazy. Let there be two or three witnesses to words. Let the words that have been spoken over this house, let that season just begin in which the words come to pass. Father, I, I, thank, I thank you for... Um, I just thank you for the, the teaching on identity. Lord, I, I, th- I thank you that what's about to come through this place. I thank you for the teaching that's already here and the foundation that's been built and even things that have just been placed on the foundation. I thank you for the people in this room. They're hungry people. They could be doing anything and they came here to learn about you tonight. I pr- pray that you would just bless them, that they would be blessed. You're so good to us. Let your kingdom come in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, guys. If anybody needs, I, I, didn't, I didn't say anything about this, but if anybody needs prayer for any kind of healing, I'd love to pray for you. All right? Oh, it's, it, I, I, wish it, I wish it had a happy ending, but it, we're, not, we're not there yet. Um, there's a, uh, oh my gosh, I'll read it. I'll start crying, my goodness. There's a woman at our church whose baby is at a CHOP hospital, and this baby was, was born with three rare diseases. These diseases are so rare that no one's ever had two of them remotely at the same time. They're like one, one in a million type disease. And, um, and I, was, I was preaching about going through hard circumstances, and I don't mean to jump topics, but it's just, it's just so good. And anytime I feel like I'm going through something hard, it's like, yeah, right. Here's, here's the baby. I don't know if you can see him, but I mean, he's blind in one eye. He's, he's been, it takes six people to get him off everything so the mother can hold the baby for one hour a day. For one hour a day. She lives in the hospital to hold that baby for one hour a day, right? And she has another son at home with her husband and she goes home every other weekend to see them. Okay, hold on, let me find it. And I asked her, um, about, about the baby, and I want to read to you what she wrote. Because I, I did this, this, these two sermons called um, Hard Circumstances. And um, and I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of her for how she's handling this situation. She had, a, she had a nun come up to her. So the Philadelphia, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, uh, there's a nun on staff there that kind of walks around and I, I don't know why a nun's there, but there's a nun that's always there. 
And she came up to the woman, uh, her name's Jennifer, and said this to Jennifer. Um, I've been watching you. And she said, children's, uh, the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, this is where babies come and die because there's nowhere else to go after here. If we can't fix them here, they don't, there's no place else to send them. And she said, I've been watching you and I know your baby situation and you always have a smile on your face and you're always speaking life. She goes, it's women like you that walk out with their baby, right? Now this baby was supposed to die at birth. The baby's six months old now. I said, can you list the diagnosis that Nash was given and currently has? He has an extremely rare syndrome called ECCL syndrome with only 53 cases ever reported in the world and also combined with another rare syndrome called nevis Sebastius syndrome with no unknown people in the world currently reported having the same at both times. These syndromes take over the brain, the heart, the eyes, the skin, the lungs, and many other organs may have cells that don't work like normal cells. The body is prone to cancers and infections, and this is not hereditary. Every week, this baby goes blue and flat lines. Every week, the baby has flat line. They brought the baby back. Ah. The body is prone to cancers and infections, etc. And this is not hereditary, simply a genetic mutation that occurred in the egg and sperm, not, not passed on, lastly. One of the infections has caused him a third lifetime disorder called short gut syndrome. Each one of these has had its toll on Nash, causing over a dozen medical conditions and many medications and management. Just a small example in blindness on right eye with deformities, but there are a list of things that have been affected. A lot of people were saying, you just need to let Nash die because Nash is so deformed, right? I asked, what has Nash overcome? This is what she says. Losing most of his intestines to the infection. They removed 50% of his bowels. He does not eat much through his feeding tube. He mainly depends on a TPN nutrition through an IV. Later, they discovered removing his gallbladder was best considering the damage in it. He's got lymphatic draining. Very serious was when he went into cardiac arrest, pretty much dying in, in front of me and being given CPR to come back after several minutes of no response. Lastly, being on breathing tubes for four and a half months and weaned down to a CPAP mask. But since he got sick, the mask is back on. I said, what was the advice that you geared up as a mama? I was very much of a let God's will be done kind of Christian and let things be with faith He'll get better, but if it doesn't, then it wasn't meant to be. Do you guys get what I'm saying? So she used to think like, well, whatever happens is the will of God. But when talking to Pastor Adam, he has taught me to be in obedience and faith without doubt that God doesn't want Nash sick. And if I can believe his power is bigger than this, anything is possible. But also that in this life, I'm not owed anything. Do you get it? Oh, it gets better. Also, Dan Moeller, whom I met through Adam's church, showed me through a preaching about his wife how far you can go with faith even till a person's last breath. All is possible through God if done the right way and with conviction. I said, what is your three-point perspective you would give to somebody going through a difficult situation? Are you guys, anybody going through a difficult situation? Let's listen to this. Oh my goodness. She says, wow, first and foremost, never give up. Literally until my son's last breath, he took the night he went into cardiac arrest. I didn't mope over his body. I raised my hands into the air and proclaimed life in Jesus' name. Draw your fear towards God, not the situation you're in. Begin talking to God, not your situation. For example, praise him relentlessly and ask him to cast away all fear and worry. Stand in your convictions. You will experience things through his suffering, not your own. God suffered watching the only world he created begin to sin and saw his children fail and fail. He never gave up on us. 
We are still here because of his unconditional love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And yes, every day with Nash is a gift and I'm not owed tomorrow with him. Isn't that cool? So when you ask me to share anything cool, that's, that's what I came up with. Yeah, I just talked to her today. She's still in the hospital. One hour a day, she gets to hold her baby. And, she, and this is what she said. She goes, there's a lot of people following Nash and this is how Nash's ministry has affected them. And she refers to Nash and his ministry of hanging in there and perseverance, you know, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. So that's been something just that's been just, just really, really cool that I've seen. Another uh, cool testimony around healing, I mean, not healing, around giving, was, uh, I told you this with Brian. Brian was, um, he was about to have twins, and he just believes that God's going to provide for him. He just, I mean, he just believes it with all his heart, and he was in the hospital, and his twins were being born and didn't have a car and big enough to fit his whole family. And I remember he just, he just, the whole time, these twins were on their way. He said, he goes, I really believe that God wants to give me a van. And he said, and we could go into debt and buy a van, but I just believe that God's gonna provide me with a van. And he'd always say this, and I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, you know. And um, he was in the hospital and his wife got a C-section. And the second day his wife was in the hospital, he received a call from a person who wanted to buy him a van. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it was after the time. But he hadn't left the hospital yet. So he went, and this guy bought a van for $27,000 and gave it to him. And I was like, whew. But he would have, like, but if he wouldn't have waited till the second day after, he wouldn't have gotten the van. You get what I'm saying? That was just intense. So I thought that was pretty cool. Any other questions? From anybody, what I what I what I really believe is is as the, I, I believe God's activity follows generosity, and to the point that we're generous is to the point we're going to see God move. And there's nothing not to go back to the shoots and ladders scenario, but I love that game. I, I don't know I don't know what what your guys's you know ribbon or trophy is, but you kind of get to the point where it's like if I if I wake up and don't hear from the Lord or do something that He asked me to do, it's kind of a lame day to be honest with you. And so that's, that's, my, that's my trophy and ribbon is, is to just be with God. And not so that I can feel affirmed. I'm, I'm affirmed by Jesus Christ through the cross. He's already affirmed me. He's already said, good job. I think you're worth dying for. I think I'll create a place for you to be with me in all of eternity forever. You know what I mean? So that's pretty cool. So it's not, it's not so that I can be affirmed personally. It's that like, man, I want to serve him while I can. I don't think, I, I, it's just going to be different up there with him. It's not going to be the same as like, right? There's not going to be any poor people. There's not going to be any needs. And it's only now that we get to do that stuff. It's to be able to provide for each other because there's going to be plenty up there, you know? So I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited for it. And did anybody else, was anybody else touched by anything that was said? Anything else stick out to you? Yeah. And, and, and there's, um, you know that verse that says, those who've been forgiven much love much? And then I think it's Ephesians uh, 2, and it says, you who were formerly in darkness, and Paul takes everybody back to who they used to be. There's an identity movement that's moving right now, and the perversion of that movement is this. It's to not talk about who you used to be and only, only talk about being a new creation. But there's something powerful in remembering who you were and how much you've been forgiven for. You know what I mean? I don't ever want to forget where I came from. I, I am a complete you know, selfish prick without the Lord. 
You know what I mean? And in my flesh, I can go back to that, being that guy. Without a prayer life, I go back to being that guy. You know, so I mean, I'm completely dependent on him. Yes, I'm a new creation as I put him on, but you've got to put him on, you know, or you don't end up, end up being like that. And man, we've been forgiven of a lot. Well, I conclude, if there is anybody in need, I do have some money on me if you need help. Like if, if somebody's like in a bad situation, like just come up to me and I, I have some on me if anybody needs gas money or anything. So I bless you guys. Have a great, uh, what is it, Thursday night. All right, thank you guys for having me.